0: This is the American Military Brit, shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello and welcome to the American Military Brit podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military, not just the rumors, but the actual story from those who were there and took part in military service. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. For the podcast today, again, I've got um, I use for most of the guests I've had on this show, I've had people that I that I know and that I've you know been stationed with or worked with or whatever. But uh, well, I suppose the two of us do work (laughs) together, but we just don't really. Like we're both in the in the reserves at Nellis uh, Air Force Base, and we have actually uh i guess crossed paths, but we've never mm-hmm. really spoken up to this point so I've got Lucretia Cunningham on the uh on the podcast today. I think I said her name right, yeah. so hopefully you I did. did but uh yeah, do you want to just kind of uh you know, tell the audience who you are and, and whatnot?
1: Sure. So my name is Lucretia Cunningham. I'm a tech sergeant in the Air Force Reserves. I've been in the Air Force for about 16 years, and that's like through the Reserves, active duty, and guard. Um, I'm also a military spouse. My husband's active duty. Mm. Um, yeah, and we just got stationed here at Nellis, which is probably why we don't exactly know each other, because right. I just started with the unit back in October. Okay. Um Uh, Right after we PCS'd here from Virginia, from Langley. Oh, Langley, okay. Mm -hmm. Nice.
0: Yeah, how is Langley? I've always heard Langley's like, it's good. It's like big because they've got like the CIA and all those people there.
1: That's a common misconception. So there's two Langleys. There's Langley in Northern Virginia, where there's the CIA headquarters and that sort of thing. And then there's Langley. Uh, joint base Langley Eustace in Southern Virginia, like Southeast oh, Virginia, yeah. um, which is Hampton.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Hampton,
1: so Hampton Roads area. And it was it was nice. It's, it's It was a cool base. It was still really busy for sure with F-22s and Raptors and that kind of thing. So
0: Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so a question I always ask people is, of course, like, why did you join the Air Force? Like, was there... Like, for me, it was, you know, my life sucked. I just wanted to change my life and stuff like that. So, like, for you, like, why did you join? Yeah.
1: um, When I think of myself at the age that I joined the military, I think of myself as, like, uh, someone who didn't have an exact goal or trajectory of where I was going. So, kind of similar, I guess. Not – it wasn't intentional. I didn't think that it, the military would change my life or redirect me in the way it did. Um, honestly, I was living with like my boyfriend's grandparents or something like that, mm. okay. <laughs> something like that. Um, from high school, I was attempting to go back to school, to college. I had just dropped out of a major university. Um, wanted, wanted to continue going to community college, but that just wasn't realistic in how much it cost. I had two jobs. I was working at Home Depot. I was working at at a daycare center. And I honestly was looking into the Peace Corps. But apparently the Peace Corps wants like really trained, educated people, (laughs) which makes sense. But I didn't think about that at the time. And I feel like an Air Force recruiter called me out of nowhere. And my idea was to say, well, what else have I got to lose? Like, what have I got going on? What am I doing? So why not? basically
0: yeah that's fair enough yeah um and then like as far as you know you do you do a lot of i guess journalism or you did communications so you're you're in a you know similar field to me and mm-hmm. um are you doing you're doing journalism in uh, or you're doing Public affairs is what right, it's called in, right. in the Right. Yeah. Air the Force military journalist
1: yeah. or the journalist of the military.
0: Yeah. So how's mm. how's that whole thing?
1: I love public affairs and I love communications and journalism and this is like uh, was a life goal for me or something that I didn't think that I could achieve as a kid. I remember idolizing news anchors or mm-hmm. um, vjs do you remember mtv vjs i don't <laughs> actually really cool. remember that no way. i don't think so <laughs> well like carson daly he oh was an yeah, MTV carson VJ. Dame, yeah yeah and okay. those were like the people that i idolized and i knew that i wanted to be like when i got older but it yeah. didn't seem like a realistic goal almost like i want to be an actress or i want to be a famous singer same thing going on in my head um but I actually, when I came into the military, I came in open general, oh, okay. um, and what yep. that means is that basically the military picks your job for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people, I didn't have, like I said, much guidance or where I was going. Nobody was there to tell me like this is what that means or this is what could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did it, and I think somebody dropped out last minute, and so I wasn't. I was in the debt program for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. The Delayed entry program, yep. um, so I just went straight to basic right after making the decision to join, and they gave me open general. Mm-hmm. Luckily enough, I ended up becoming a medic. I was an aerospace medical technician for more than ten years, um, which is a good career field to land in if right. you came in open general because yeah. it could have been <laughs> it could have been real bad real fast
0: next we'll talk about basic and, and tech school so um you did mention one thing i forgot i wanted to bring up you mentioned the uh dep or delayed entry program mm-hmm. so you said you were in for a week i was i was Fair. in for i was in for like four months i think it was yeah because i signed because you know you go to your uh recruiter and you they sign you up you do all your stuff and then that begins you being in DEP, I believe. Right. So that was in January for me, and I left in May. So that was, uh, yeah, that was an interesting experience. But concerning like uh, basic training, where uh, I don't even think I asked where you're where you're from. Like, where did you fly to basic training from?
1: Um, I flew from Florida, from Tampa, Florida. But okay. I'm not from Tampa, Florida. I'm originally from Chicago.
0: Okay. So. <laughs> So why why Tampa, Florida?
1: You know, so it's all a blur. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But that's where my boyfriend's parents were, or his grandparents were living. Okay. He was not there. I was just living with them. And so, um, yeah. 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 Uh, I wasn't living with my parents. Um, My dad, I have, my dad is in Florida, um, and I think, That was kind of the goal that I wanted to be near where my dad was because I hadn't grown up with him, um, but not necessarily like with him, with him, because I hadn't grown up with him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know, lots to unpack there. But I flew from um, Tampa, Florida, and I remember my dad coming to the airport and it was like like I said, I'm, I'm one of those people that kind of like things happen in my life and then I like pack it away for another day. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, But I remember him coming to the airport and giving me like a, a lecture or like an I'm so proud of you thing. And then I don't, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, okay. Because in my head, my very immature brain at that time, this was not a big deal. Like this, me joining the military was like, I don't know, a Wednesday. Right. I had no idea. <laughs> Wednesday, yeah, <laughs> I had no idea what I was up against. I had no idea what I was facing. I had was in the debt program for a week. So when I got there and other girls were like, yeah, I had been working on my run for this many months and I've gotten my time <laughs> down. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, what, are, what are you talking about? And where did they say that? Like nobody told me this information. Yeah. So I literally came into it blind and here I am 16 years later yeah like my angels
0: (laughs) yeah like i was i was going crazy speaking of that i was going crazy running all the time i was doing push-ups and sit-ups because you know obviously i had you know like i said i had like four months to prepare but i was preparing even before that and like you I had got, a plan. Yeah, you yeah, had a
1: plan and yeah. you knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, and that you, yeah. I cannot say the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you get there and there's just people who are just like, oh no, I didn't work out before. And they were, you know you know, because they put us in those different color groups as well. I don't know if they did that. Did you when go- did you join? You went in 2006, was mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I went in twenty eleven. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, they yeah, had the I different color that.
0: groups. They had, you know, red was the people in the worst shape, and then it was yellow and it was green. Green and it was really blue. I think. Thank goodness. I for was me. I was blue by the way. Everybody, I was blue. So <laughs>
1: thank goodness so. for me. I would have been uh, in the red. Probably, yeah, but the that didn't in the- happen when I was there.
0: Because you know they had the uh they had like the um the PT pad that you ran on, mm-hmm. and they'd like cone off areas so the people in the red had like the small little area to run around, and then people in blue were just running like. All the way around, you'd think it'd be the
1: opposite, like they would help the people in the red to and give them more space so that they could run more. Yeah, I don't know, but then you got promoted,
0: you got promoted to different levels. If you like, if the red people improved, they'd go to yellow and so on and so on. Interesting, but uh, (laughs) as far as your basic experience went, like, uh. Yeah, how how was that for you? Because I'm always interested to hear people's stories. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't really get yelled at that much and stuff yeah. like that. And I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it, I wanted to leave after like the first day, but yeah, you know, I th- I mean overall I thought it was okay. But how was your experience? yeah? It
1: was um traumatic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like I said was very ill prepared and like kind of was just going. very spontaneous, I was a very spontaneous, I guess, person at that time and didn't listen to anyone and didn't care what anybody else had to say about what I was doing. So I was just going with the flow. Um, But when I got there, uh, we lived, it, it was different. It was 2006. I had a cell phone, but it was not like commonly used. I know in basic training at some point they were letting People had their phones, social media wasn't like a big thing. Yeah, yeah. so um, we didn't get our phones, we used a pay phone. We had like co- coins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Back in the day. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: you used a pay phone um, and it was timed. So you had like this much time and you took your turn on the pay phone on Sundays or whatever the case was. I remember yeah. that. Um, we lived in the barracks with 50. I lived with 50 other girls and there was a, oh, a yeah. shared shower. Good times, um yeah. And I will really don't want to see like I didn't think that I was going to see the things that I saw girls do in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like I just had no idea. Um <clears throat> Yeah, sometimes girls are sometimes they're like gross, like hygienic hygiene wise, like they and that was weird. Um <laughs> I remember courtesy flushes because there was just a bunch of girls in one bathroom. Um but I did I did get yelled at a lot. Okay. Because I don't know if you can tell but like I have like a baby face and like these my dimples and I smile a lot.
0: Oh, uh, so you smi- got in trouble for smiling. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I smile yep. a lot and I yep. s- laugh a lot and yep. I smile through conversations and I smile and laugh the worst when you make me nervous. Uh, so like, I remember being the door guard one yep. time and they give you this thing to recite. Yeah. Uh, the I don't entry, even, entry control the, thing. Yeah, the yep. entry control uh-huh. point stuff. I, I did not, could not memorize but and I started getting yelled at through the door by the T I, his face in the window, and I laughed at him.
0: <laughs> yeah, you will get in trouble <laughs> for that. Oh yeah.
1: I laughed at him. So yeah. That was and then they put me on my face, right? Did yeah. did you you know that term? Yeah, on your face. Oh, on, yeah. your face on your face, on your back, on your face, yeah. on your back. Oh yeah. With yeah. a flutter like you alternate with flutter yeah. kicks and yeah. I laughed my way through that too.
0: Yeah. So Moving on to uh, tech school, where was where was your tech school?
1: Yeah, um, I did tech school in tech, San Antonio. Okay. I didn't go very far for tech school.
0: Oh, that's right, because you were medical, uh, right? Because I was of medical.
1: Yeah. Um, and I also did uh, medical. We have two, at the time, we had two phases where you did like um, your EMT book study certification portion in San Antonio, and then you could be lucky enough to get us, a phase two at a different location. Like some people mm-hmm. went to Travis or other places. As long as it was like a large hospital, um, and I stayed there in San Antonio.
0: Was it Fort Sam Houston or was it somewhere else?
1: Nope. um, it was back when I don't know what is it called.
0: Was it just uh? It oh, was, was it just, just the hospital San- yeah. at Lackland? Yeah, yeah, Lackland. Oh, just that hospital yeah. there. Okay. Uh, they
1: didn't they didn't combine Lackland and Fort Sam Houston until later on. I think like yeah. twenty. Thirteen-ish. Okay. Way later.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's talk about your assignments. So, um, I always talk about how unfortunate I was because. I, in uh, tech school, I learned that my first assignment was going to be Missouri. I was in Missouri for like almost five years, really? Whiteman Air Force Base, yeah. And of course, I didn't want to go there, I because everyone was getting like all these overseas assignments, yeah. going to Korea and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, where are you going? I'm like, Missouri, Whiteman Air Force Base. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not the sexiest thing, is it, really? It's not the best assignment, so... Um, what was your What was your first assignment?
1: Oh man, uh, like yours, Scott Air Force Base in southern okay. Illinois, yeah, in the middle of the cornfields in Mascuda, Illinois.
0: Yeah, but you're from. You said you're from Chicago, I'm from though, Chicago. right? So at least you were <laughs> close to home, right?
1: Um, yeah, so uh, I did. It was close to home, and that was good, and I liked that. And maybe again, those are my angels watching over me because that's where um, I ended up having like very, very shortly after I got to my first base, I found out I was pregnant with my first child and needed my parents or needed my mom for sure and she was about four and a half hours away Um, but I was working in a clinic that had like a condensed schedule so we would work nine hours for four days and then we'd get like every other Friday off or something like that so I would go home every other weekend yeah I would go home um so yeah and I was there for like Seven years. So I had two kids there. I had my oldest daughter, and then four years later, I had my son at Scott.
0: Oh, wow. Seven years. Yeah. You that's, how,
1: you know, Jeez. when the Air Force puts you somewhere like a cornfield in Muskuta, Illinois, yeah. they're going to keep you there forever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because I, the 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 way I got out of Missouri was I pushed the, uh, as people call it, you push the nuclear bomb and you go to Korea. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I'll volunteer to go to Korea. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was how that happened. But your um, your husband is he? Was he? Where does where, where does he come into play? here? Oh
1: yeah. So um, my husband and I, we actually joined. We always say that it was like a story of fate, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> forces pushing us together. Right. Um, so he's from Tennessee. He is yeah. from. Uh, Dixon, Tennessee, which is like the middle, I think, middle Tennessee, Central Tennessee. Um, but we joined the Air Force on the same day. We both had the same enlistment date, and then we were at basic at the same time. And then we went to the same tech school. He's also a medic. Oh. We were at the at tech school at the same time, and then we both ended up at Scott at the same time. Okay. <laughs> at the same yeah. time, working in the same clinic.
0: Yeah. Together. So <laughs> right. everything was the same. Okay. Yes.
1: We were always together. Um, but we uh, didn't end up getting married until 2010. So like a few years later, um, he ended up deploying and we were like, we were trying very hard. I don't know, like active duty wise, if you ever talk about relationships and the way relationships work in the military, but it goes very quickly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were really trying to get married uh, for a while. And it just for some reason never happened. It never lined up or whatever the case was. And he deployed. We were trying to get married before he deployed, but he deployed. Um, and we, when he came back, we ended up having like a big wedding in the middle of a cornfield, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cornfield <laughs> in southern of Illinois. Um, and it, so we were. It, it just worked out that way. And then a year later, we had our son. So okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, after. Uh, after Illinois, like where did you go? Yeah. After that?
1: So we were mill to mill, um, both active duty, and we together decided to push the nuclear button, and we volunteered <laughs> for a <laughs> we volunteered for a remote a remote duty station in Turkey. At, okay. In yeah. Um, it was a short. What are they called? Sh-
0: like a short tour. A short tour yeah. in Turkey,
1: where we could take our kids and we could be together. Okay. Um. And so we went to Turkey, to Incer Lake for three years. And that was, the, the kids still talk about it. Um, our youngest was born while we were stationed in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the most interesting things about that is that mil- military people were not allowed to have kids. To not, to, we're not allowed to give birth in Turkey.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, so really? I have an interesting birth story, basically. She was born in Tennessee, in Nashville.
0: Wait, so you have to, so how does that work? You have to like fly somewhere Mm -hmm. and.
1: Yeah. So at the time I was actually in charge of what they call the stork nesting program. And that's a a known program throughout the military. It's called stork nesting where you don't give birth, where you are stationed, that the military will fly you somewhere else. And for us, it was Ramstein, I think.
0: Ramstein.
1: yeah. Yeah. So I should have had her at Ramstein. But again, we were a mill to mill. My husband was working ambulance services, 24 hour shifts. And there was a big nuclear inspection com- coming up.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, the kids were not allowed to go with me to-, to Germany. I would have to go alone. My husband could come, but he couldn't because of this nuclear inspection coming up. And I had a commander look me in my face and say, um, I just want to let you know he's not going anywhere until this is over. Yeah, it was a nuclear surety inspection. Um, And I said, okay. And that's when um, I knew enough, I had enough medical know-how. I had enough know-how about the program, the stork nesting program, to basically look into going home and taking my kids to Nashville, where his mom and his family was, and staying with my brother and sister-in-law until I had my daughter at uh, Vanderbilt. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, yep. And then he made it there. He made it there in time for her birth, but it was like he had to take a train, plane, bus. It was it was intense.
0: So you've been in the guard and the reserve, right? So right. um I'm I'm curious because like I transitioned from active duty to the Guard and Reserve or sorry, just to the reserve I went to. Um, and i'm curious about the the transition for you because i found it quite easy as far as the like military to military transition mm-hmm. like going from active to reserve but it was the it was kind of the civilian transition transition like going from you know you're just your whole life is the military and then suddenly you're actually free now and you can do what you want and it's just very weird cuz you're not you're not on that set schedule all the time so like for you obviously it's a little bit different cuz i was I'm single you have your family and stuff so like how does that how did that whole thing go
1: for yeah. you yeah um i think initially that's how i felt like oh i'm free yeah. now <laughs> to just do whatever um But I don't, I I think the biggest transition for me was the the cultural shift. I don't know if you've noticed, but especially going from active to guard to reserve, I can see the difference in cultures. Mm -hmm. Even from guard to reserve, there's a difference in just how we view things or how we interact or how Mm -hmm. we, that sort of thing. So there's a cultural shift, believe it or not, even though it's all Air Force, it's just different cultures. so I think I think my transition was okay but I don't feel like I fully am free like a civilian free. Yeah. Um maybe it's also because my husband's active duty and I continue I still live through day-to-day military stuff, right? Yep. But also um but also like I didn't realize until I got out how much how much I have become <laughs> I have become Tech Sergeant Cunningham. Yeah. Like, un- until I got out, I think. And I think that's different for people. But before I was Tech Sergeant Cunningham, I was a-, a person, like I said, who was just on a path to nowhere, didn't know what I was doing or whatever the case is. Th- being in the military gives me a direction and it gives me a goal. Right. Um, and so I take every opportunity to be involved with my unit, to be on orders. Like, if you want to give me Three months of orders, I'm taking it. Okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm taking it, um, and then everything else just com- falls in line. Um, I'm also a military spouse, like I said, so having a career or having uh, something outside of the military is is very difficult. Um, I, if you could interview or if you talk to Other military spouses who aren't in the military, they'll say, like, they have to, they they dedicate themselves to their studies and they dedicate themselves to their work, but it's really difficult to hold on to that. And that's a known issue in the military in general. So um, I think I hold on to my military service in that sense where that's what I do and then everything else can just fall in line. I yeah. often joke that I have four quarter time jobs. <laughs> right? right. Four quarter time jobs and that's because the military has taken precedent. Um like I'm on orders right now full time. Orders right now. Um and then I have a part time gig at a at a public r- news public radio station, right. I freelance for this company, I freelance for that company, but my military is my my center. So I don't know if I can say
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm so free. But yeah, yeah. So you first went to the guard, mm-hmm. and it was interesting how you brought up kind of the, the shift in kind of yeah. the difference between like active duty, guard, reserve. Because, like, when I was, you know, when I was active duty, we always kind of looked down on those people. But yeah. we, did, uh, we did work with a lot of guard guys when I was in Missouri. And I know one of them actually listens to this podcast <laughs> and they were just, they were funny though, cause they were just so chilled. They yes. call each other by like, no matter what their rank was, they call each other by first names. <laughs> they were just so like... Chilled out and just such like cool guys, but like you know, and then you have the active guys who are just so like we're so stuck up you know, and we're so you know. I
1: didn't. I don't think when I look from the guard perspective to active duty, I don't think it's that they're stuck up. I think it's that they're angry.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're always annoyed, yeah, because our lives are miserable. Yeah, exactly.
1: They're angry and they are trapped and they have not discovered the the best kept secret in the military is to join the guard or. Yeah. Res- yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, so just to finish off here, um, we were talking before, and you were talking about like an interesting experience you brought up that you were a part of the whole uh, Capitol riot thing, or you were at least involved in that. So, um, just just talk about that. Like, what was that? What was that all about?
1: Yeah. So the guard didn't respond to the insurrection at the Capitol until after it happened. Right. I mean, that was a major story. I don't know anything about that because, you know, it's above my pay grade. But right. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was actually on active duty orders with my guard unit at that time um, that started in March, early March of 2020. Um, we didn't know COVID was going to come at us the way it did. As a matter of fact, right before I started my orders, I wrote a story um, with the newspaper that I was working with. Uh, and it was a, a teacher who taught online classes um, she taught English to Chinese students in China online. And she was telling me, like, we need to band together and just send, like, masks and things like that to China because there's just no more. I remember writing that story. I remember starting my orders. And then by mid-March, they had told us that we needed to go home for two weeks. Right? And Because, you know, it was just two weeks to flatten the curve, basically. Right? <laughs>
0: two weeks that <laughs> turned into like two years. Right?
1: <laughs> what is this? The, the year two and a half. Yeah. But um, so when the insurrection happened, I remember actually being in the office by myself and I don't remember what I was working on or whatever the case was, but nobody else was there, which is why I was there because we could come into the office. We just had to be separated. Um. And I remember watching the TV and telling uh, my coworkers and texting them, like, do you guys see what's happening at the Capitol? Because those are the exact type of things that the guard is um, is is organized for, right? Like emergency. So it, it set off a red flag for me being like, we're going to go somewhere soon. Or I'm going to bet that we're going to be involved somewhere somehow after yeah. this happened. Um and within a matter of hours, our security forces was uh, organized, and they were getting ready to mobilize and go. Um, and I'm public affairs, so I'm not going to go respond with a weapon and a tactical vest. I'm going to go to document histori- for historic references, and I'm going to go document so that the people um, in Virginia know that their military is doing something and know that how we're involved in what we're doing and how we're using our training and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the public affairs goal, right, is to say um, your tax dollars are paying for for us to do training, to do this, to do this, to get this equipment, and this is how we use it. That's public affairs our job to tell that story so that's what it was Um, so I knew um, our security forces was going and my job as public affairs is to brief security forces on um, this is going to be a national story this is going to be a big story so if people walk up to you with cameras you direct them to me or you don't know anything because you don't know anything you're just going because they told you to be here Um, and then after that uh, I actually went there um, and it was the same thing. We set up shop. We had like a public affairs corner <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in the library oh. of Congress. Um, and so that I, I, those experiences for me though, like that's why I do what I do. That's why I stay in the military. I always have this desire to serve a greater purpose. Like if I'm supposed to be there to uh, to. Um, tell this story about the things that these airmen are doing for their country on a national scale. Like I want to be there. So we set up shop um, and basically our job was to uh, media inquiries, things that came in from our our local news stations and that sort of stuff, interviews, but also um, getting B roll and photos and things like that for our media to use. Um, on the local channel so that was cool
0: but yeah we'll just uh, yeah i guess we'll leave it there i just want to um th- obviously thank you for coming on the podcast because uh, it it's always nice to get a different perspective from you know some i mean somebody who's been in both the guard and reserve like i haven't had anybody on the show yet that's done that so um yeah cool so that's cool but yeah thank you thanks thank you for coming on. appreciate it